Can I then ask you to return to Jonah chapter 3? We looked at this chapter two weeks ago, but there, are, there is so much in it that we want to take other things from it for our edification this morning. The text would be found in verse 9, verse 9 of Jonah chapter 3, which reads, Who can tell? if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not. We want to meditate upon these words in context in this chapter. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? The title I'd like to give to the meditation this morning is Nineveh Awakened. Nineveh awakened. And as a result of their awakening, this is what they said, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? There may be some who are not familiar with Jonah, a very short book, maybe a very brief summary would help us as we come to look at chapter 3. Jonah was a prophet and he was commissioned by the Lord to go and to preach to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to do this. Instead, he went in the opposite direction. But God turned him into turmoil so that he was tossed out of the ship and tossed into the water, and a whale swallowed him up. And he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights before the whale disgorged him and put him on some beach. And during this time that he was in the whale's belly, he offered up the prayer that we find in chapter 2. And chapter 3, we find that the Lord had recommissioned him to go to Nineveh. And this is what we find here in chapter 3. Jonah was restored, and he went forth and began to preach. Chapter 1 would tell us about God's patience with Jonah. Chapter 2 would tell us about God's mercy with Jonah. And chapter 3, the chapter we're looking at, would tell us about God's power through Jonah. And chapter 4, which we shall look at in due course, would tell us about God's ministry to Jonah. And the last time we looked at this chapter, two weeks ago, we had three things to say. We noticed that Jonah was a forgiven man, and Jonah was a prayerful man, and Jonah was a, an afflicted man. And that's the way that he went to his ministry, this new ministry or this recommissioned ministry that God had given to him to go to Nineveh, he was a man who was forgiven, and he was a man who was now a prayerful man. His prayers had been answered, and he was an afflicted man, and therefore all of these things could be factors to help Jonah to minister to the Ninevites. Why? Well, he was a forgiven man. You know, the gospel is not proclaimed by angels. Why does God not employ angels in the proclamation of the gospel? 
Well, there's one reason that we could easily give you. Angels know nothing of being forgiven. There is no gospel for the angels. There are many fallen angels. They rebelled with Satan, but there's no gospel for them. And the angels who have remained were chosen to remain, and they know nothing of forgiveness of sins. But Jonah was a man who had sinned greatly before God, and therefore he was able to use this experience in his preaching as a forgiven man, one who had tasted and known that the Lord was good. And he was a prayerful man. His prayer was answered. Could he not put that into his message as he went to the Ninevites? Could he not say to them, well, my prayer was answered. Will your prayer not be answered also? And he was truly an afflicted man. God had put him through a great affliction. Imagine being in the, way, in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. He was afflicted. And therefore, he was able to bring this element into his preaching also to encourage the Ninevites to repent. And of course, that is exactly what happened. When the prophet Jonah began to preach, something staggering and something amazing happened. The people of Nineveh were deeply affected. Now, in my introduction, I want us to consider this. And I'm asking here, really, the, the people of God, and I say this to myself also, when we come to preach the gospel, when we come to declare God's word, do we come with expectation? Do we come believing that God indeed is going to do something wonderful? It's God's word. And therefore we should come. Minister, you should be rebuked when you come to the pulpit and you declare God's word and you don't expect anything to happen. That's an affront. And here, what do we find? We find Jonah taking up his commission, going and preaching the gospel, as we would say in modern terms, going and preaching God's word, and something glorious, something wonderful, something divine happened. Friends, if we're going to learn anything at all today, surely we should take this lesson on board we should come to the house of God and the minister should come to the, to the pulpit believing, longing for, hoping for that God indeed would move and work in our day and in our generation. This is what happened here. And God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Well, we want to draw one or two things from this chapter for our edification, and we look to the Lord to help us. First, consider this. Did Jonah know what he was to preach? Did he know? Well, 
What do we find? In verse 2, for instance, Arise, here the Lord is speaking to Jonah, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. There's no mention of the content of the preaching at this stage. Jonah was recommissioned. Go. You have already been commissioned to go to Nineveh. You declined that commission, but God in his sovereign mercy has restored him. And now the commission has come to him again. Go and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. There's no evidence here that God told him the content of the preaching. He was simply to go. And when he would go, the word of the Lord would come to him. He would then find out exactly what the message he had to declare to Nineveh. It would be revealed to him. And if he did not go, he would not know, indeed, what he was to proclaim. Therefore, he had to be obedient first. He had to make his way to Nineveh. Now, has this got any kind of relevance for ourselves today? Well, yes, it does. It does. And it's for, for preachers. It's not a license for the preacher to think that he, can, he should not prepare. He should not prepare his sermons. Instead, he should wait for a word for the, from the Lord. Well, of course, that is nonsense. The preacher should prepare. He should be preparing all the time, and he should come to the pulpit fully prepared. But it does have relevance to all of us. We think of Abraham, for instance. Abraham, the father of the faithful. What happened to him away back in Genesis? What happened? Well, he was there in his homeland. He was having a good time and a good life, and God called him. God called him from the place of his nativity, where he was brought up. Now the Lord God had said unto Abram, that's Abraham, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Abraham was called. He was taken away from everything that he knew about, everything that was familiar to him, he was taken out of his comfort zone and he didn't know where he was going. And as he made his way, as he followed that call, it would become crystal clear, God would reveal, him, re reveal it to him where indeed he was to go. Here is the point for every one of us here today. We are urged, no, we are commanded. We are commanded to repent and to believe the gospel. We are commanded to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. We are sinners. There's no doubt about that. The Bible makes it clear, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible's verdict upon you today is, there is none righteous, no, not one. And there's no hope for us unless we embrace the gospel, unless we embrace the Savior and take him for ourselves. But 
We don't know the way the Lord will lead us. If we're thinking at all, and indeed we should be thinking, this is the schoolroom of God. We don't leave our brains behind when we come to the house of God. We seek to engage in things. And if you're thinking about it, you'll say to yourself, well, the Christian life is not easy. Don't think for one minute the Christian life is easy. It's not easy. The Lord Jesus Christ makes it abundantly clear. It's not easy. It's not a Sunday school outing. The Christian life is we take up the cross. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We suffer the sufferings in some sense that he endured. And if you're thinking, well, I don't know the way and I don't know how he'll lead me and I don't know these things, that's true. You don't know. You don't know. Jonah didn't know the content of the preaching. Abraham didn't know where the promised land was. But both of them went. And that's what exactly you must do also. You have a great need. You need to have your sins forgiven. The only way they can be forgiven is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must take him. You must follow him. You must walk in his footsteps. And you don't know the way, but you know he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised to be with you. You must step out in faith. You're not relying upon your own strength, upon your own arm, upon flesh. You're not relying upon a, a minister, or you're not relying upon the, the office bearers or the church. You're following Jesus Christ. And he will take you. And he will never leave you. Oh, friend, he will never leave you. Come what may. There may be sore providences that might come upon you. You don't know what it will be like to follow Jesus. But he will never leave you nor forsake you. <coughs> we might also notice here that the Bible makes it clear that it was a mighty task that was laid upon him. Verse 2 again, what does it say? Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh was a great city in the ancient world. It was full of idolatry, full of evil, full of wickedness, full of violence. The Ninevites were known in their warlike pursuits, indeed to be extremely violent. They would tolerate none of their enemies. They would kill women, children, the unborn. It mattered not to them. And Nineveh was a great city. And therefore, here was one Hebrew prophet by himself going to this great metropolis. And he was going to stand before them all and preach the word of the Lord. It was a great undertaking, and the Bible recognizes it. But again, surely we can apply this to the Christian life. Surely this is, this is what we find here. The Christian life 
is not easy. Don't think for one minute it is. We don't preach easy believism. Friends, when you take up the cross, when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? You must crucify yourself. You must die to self. You must put Christ first. He must be the, the one who sits upon the throne of your heart. You are to love him before anyone else. And friends, in case you're worried, once you love the Lord Jesus Christ, once he truly is the king of your heart, once you have love for him, then you have love for one for another. Then you'll love your wife. Then you'll love your husband as you should. And when you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll love the brethren. Then you'll have love for one for another. Then you'll even love your enemies. Don't think for one moment that if you put Christ first, that others will in some sense lose out. No. We are to honor our mothers and fathers. We are to love our wives and husbands. And we can only truly do that when Christ is loved first and foremost. We must deny ourselves. We must turn our backs upon our sins. We must fight the good fight of faith. What's that fight? Well, that's the fight against our own indwelling sin. You know, when you become a Christian, what happens? Well, you have a new nature. By nature, you have one nature, and it is a sinful nature because of your connection with Adam. Every one of us has our psalm that we sung, Psalm 51, Behold, I in iniquity was formed, the womb within. There, friends, in that secret place, when we were conceived, what happened? We inherited Adam's sinful nature. And when we come out of the womb, that sinful nature soon manifested itself in sinful actions. But when you become a Christian, when you know that new birth experience that Jesus talks about to Nicodemus, there's a new nature within you. Another nature has been implanted in you, the divine nature. And therefore, you have two natures. You have the old nature and the new nature. And there's a great battle. And that battle goes on. It never stops. But by the grace of God, the new nature takes over. But the old nature's not gone. It's there. And Christian, you know this. You know it. You know that you have more trouble with sin now than you ever did. Yes, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, you recognized you were a sinner. Yes, you did. But even now you recognize you're, you're a sinner more than ever. And you recognize your need of Christ more than ever. And is it not true that as you grow in grace and as your Christian experience goes on, Christ becomes more precious to you. Oh, can you say that you loved him when you first came to him? I couldn't. I couldn't. 
I just saw my need. I knew I was a sinner. I knew he was a savior. I went to him. But friends, now, surely we can say now, as we've been going through the Christian life, now surely we can say, oh, we love him now. Only because he first loved us. Well, it's not easy. You have to turn your back upon the things that you loved. And let's be clear. Our old sinful nature loves sin. Yes, we love sin. We love what will ultimately destroy us. That's how deprived we are or depraved that we are. That's how. Well, Nineveh was a great task and a great assignment. There is nothing like being a Christian, friends. It's a great task. It's overwhelming. But Jesus is with us. And therefore, let us be encouraged. It was a great task. And as we find out, it was a stark and a blunt message. You know, he wasn't commissioned as a prophet to go to Nineveh and say, God loves you. He didn't say that to them. What does verse 4 tells us? And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What a message to bring to these violent, wicked individuals. You'd think they would just chop his head off. Away with this man. Who's going to listen to this Hebrew prophet telling us about these things? We are not interested. He had a very star and blunt message. Verse 4 is maybe somewhat difficult for us to actually interpret. Began to enter into the city a day's journey. I take it from that that as soon as he entered, he began to preach. He was now filled with zeal. We are told that Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Well, what does that mean? Does it did it take him three days to get there or three days to get round Nineveh? We cannot tell, but whatever. When Jonah got there, he began immediately. The first day he was there, he had this message. The Lord had given him a message, and he went forth, and, be, and he began to preach that message instantly. And what do we find? And he cried. Oh, friends, he cried. He was not a dull, doer preacher. Oh, there was real passion in him. He cried. And we go back to the fact there, friends, that he had known and he had tasted that the Lord was good. And this fed into him. This came out of his pores. He had experienced forgiveness of sins and he was reconciled to God. And therefore he wanted his people to come into that same experience. And he went and he cried. Yet forty days, 
and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't tamper with the message. He didn't make it palatable to the rich or to the poor, to the young or to the old. He didn't speak a different message to, to the ladies or to the men. He was faithful to the word that God had given to him. There's a lesson here. There's a lesson here for preachers. There's a lesson here for private Christians. Jonah was a messenger who had been prepared to bring that message. When he first began, we're not from one moment suggesting that God made a mistake. No, no. But when he first got this commission, he was not prepared. He was not the messenger who would deliver the message ultimately because he had to go through that terrible experience of rejecting God's commission and running away from God and the whale experience all had to be in order that ultimately when he came out of that experiences, he was now prepared as a messenger to bring that message to the people. I mentioned it in my prayer because of my reading, preparing for the sermon. We can be ones who know the truth. But now Jonah was someone who knew the power of the truth. He had tasted it himself. Why is it our evangelism and all our outreach and all that we seek to do doesn't really have that much of an effect? Why is it? Is it we know the truth? but we don't really know the power of the truth ourselves. Oh, friends, have we really tasted this fact that God is gracious? Do we really know in our own experience that God is merciful? Do we, have we tasted this ourselves? Is this our personal experience, minister? Do you know it? Jonah did. He was a, a prepared messenger like he never was before. We noticed some time ago, Jonah, from the moment he got the commission, he went down, down to Joppa, down to the hold of the ship, down to the bottom of the mountains in the sea, down in the fish's belly. He had to go down, 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 down. He had to be broken first. And then when he was broken and restored, then he was able to go and preach this message like he never preached it before. It came with power. It came with conviction. Friends, sit up and listen to this then. You know this? This indeed was a blunt and uncompromising message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Christian gospel 
is more severe and more uncompromising than Jonah's message to Nineveh. Oh, minister, are you sure? Are you sure you're right? We've agreed. This message is terribly blunt. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Friends, what does the Christian gospel say to you? What does the word of the Lord say to you today? Repent and believe the gospel because you haven't got 40 days. You haven't got 40 days. I cannot stand here and preach the gospel and tell you, you've got 40 days to deceive Christ. You might not have 40 minutes. Never mind 40 days. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You're here in the house of God. You're here under the means of grace. Christ has been offered to you. You, sir, you, madam, Christ has been offered to you. And you are commanded to receive him now. Life is short. Life is brief, is it not? God will not always strive with you, and he is striving with you. You're under the means of grace, and God has been striving with you. Your conscience has been pricked. Don't think that's always going to happen. Don't think it for one moment. What a wonderful spiritual blessing it is when God makes you uncomfortable, uncomfortable in your sin, uncomfortable in your natural state. It's a blessing. It's a wonderful blessing. Oh, it's not pleasant, but it's a blessing. Would you like to go through life without a care, without a concern, without your conscience ever being pricked, without God ever speaking to you through the word? And then would you like to drop into eternity, into the lake of fire without a warning? Isn't God being gracious to you today? You don't have 40 days. Here we are, end of the year. Who would believe it? Hasn't the time passed? And as you get older, does it not feel as if time is passing quicker than ever? End of the year. And you're still not saved. You're still in your sins. You must come then, today, now. Notice too also the reaction of the people. What do we find in verse 5? So the people of Nineveh believed God. We did speak about this before, but here was Jonah, a Jewish preacher, prophet with the word of God in his heart and on his lips. They recognized it was God speaking, not Jonah. Jonah was simply a mouthpiece. He was a conduit. God was using him. He was God's servant. God had given him that word, and this man had been faithful to that word, and he had delivered it, Wherever he went, and he had remarkable success. And the people recognized it was God who was speaking. 
It's a terrible thing to reject when God speaks. God speaks in his word. He uses frail men. He may well use a frail woman in, in personal evangelism. But in the public office, it's the preacher, it's the man. But when God speaks, as he does in his word, what an affront it is to ignore him. Would you ignore someone who, a friend, a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter who spoke to you tenderly about things that really matter, would you simply dismiss them? Of course you would not. You would listen. Would you dismiss the doctor, the surgeon? You've got a problem, madam, sir. We need to cut this out. It's going to be difficult. It's life-threatening. You're hanging on to every single word they say. And you'll sign the form, yes. Go ahead, you've got my permission. Do this operation. I want to live. Somehow, you come to the house of God, you hear it read, you hear it explained, and you dismiss it. These people believed God. You must believe God. God is not a man that he can lie. Repentance is required of us. We would notice here also, did they have any encouragement to repent? What did Jonah say in his message? Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's no mention of turning to the Lord in Jonah's message. But of course, Jonah himself, in person, was a sign to them. Jonah was one who died in one sense. He died when he was thrown into the water and the whale swallowed him up. That was his death in a figurative sense. And here he was before them preaching to them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah had died, but he was alive. And therefore they took it from the fact that Jonah was before them there, that this indeed was an encouragement to repent because God was warning them. And where there is a, a warning, there's always room for repentance. You could go to Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no warning for them, none whatsoever. In fact, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. It was a normal, glorious day. The sun arose. There was nothing untoward to warn them whatsoever. There was no signs. 
When the Lord Jesus Christ shall return, there shall be signs. And some people will be able to read the signs. Some people will dis dismiss them and care nothing for them. That's true, but there will be signs. Sodom and Gomorrah received no signs. Nineveh received a sign. Jonah was a sign. And the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us that he is a sign to us. He tells the Jews, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ are signs to all of us. There is life after death. And Jesus Christ is that sign to all of us. My time's almost up. But we find here that God turned away his fierce anger from them. Was their repentance real? What does verse 10 say? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Well, in some sense, their repentance was real. In some sense, they obviously did repent to a certain extent. They turned away from their wickedness, and God saw their works. But was their repentance, did it last? That's another matter. And the likelihood is, according to history, that the repentance did not last. It was only for a period of time. It was only temporary. But, and here is something to encourage us. God saw their works. Now God knew, obviously, God knew if the repentance was real or not. Nothing is hidden from God. But God took the repentance, as we would say, humanly speaking, he took it at face value. And at face value, he saw them turning from their evil ways. And God did not bring that heavy judgment upon them because for a period, for a time, their repentance seemed to be real. God took it at face value, we might say. Why do I end with this? Well, this, friends, is important because God turned away his fierce anger when their repentance was not wholly genuine and long-lasting. What will God do then when he sees real repentance, when he sees we're cut to the heart, when he sees our, our, our tears, not so much maybe in our eyes, but in our hearts, when we know that we have sinned against God and when there's a real desire to turn away from our sins and take up the cross and the fall of the Lord Jesus, do you not think that God will recognize that real repentance? Do you think God will put that aside? Do you think he will not take notice of it? If he takes notice of repentance that's not real and not genuine and he delays his judgment upon them, 
Surely, friends, therefore, it's a wonderful encouragement for us to truly seek this repentance, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. God turned away, even although the repentance was only skin deep. When God sees the heart broken, God will receive the penitent. He will be merciful to the penitent. Is there, is that not an encouragement for us then? Is that not an encouragement for us to seek the Lord that he might give unto us this repentance unto life, this real desire to turn away from our sins and to follow him? Nineveh was awakened. And they were awakened. And they came to that conclusion, who can tell if God will turn and repent? Well, God did turn. And God accepted even their not sincere repentance. Therefore, let us be ones who know true-hearted, real, genuine repentance and forsaking of sin. Hear us, therefore. May God be pleased to bless his word to us. <clears throat> Let us pray.